Thank you, Michelle and Rianne. Let's take our Bibles this morning and go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1, in your Bibles this morning. I'm enjoying my study in the Gospel of John so far as we're getting started and just really looking at what's called the prologue or just the beginning part of this. And then we're going to get into, we're going to be looking at and studying some of the miracles that Jesus Christ did and We'll be looking at some conversations and some interactions that he had with people during his earthly ministry and, of course, then his death and burial and resurrection. And, uh, and I'm excited about the study. Uh, this past, I think it was Friday night, um, word got out in the Ferguson house that uh, I got an invitation. I was at my desk, and word came to me from one of my children that William was going to preach, which hadn't happened yet in our house. And... Uh, and so eventually I came out, and, and he wanted the whole family. He wasn't, he wasn't settling for a half a crowd. He wanted the whole family, 100% participation. And, uh, and he, had, he had dragged a part of our furniture, like a, kind of an end table type of thing, and set it down. Uh, and I know actually it was a tub. He had dragged a tub from somewhere, set a tub down, and then he put some sort of an end table on top of that. And then he had a, a basket flipped upside down on top of that, and that was his pulpit. And... Uh, and then he had been preparing throughout the day, and, uh, and uh, I think he had made some of the girls clear off some of their Legos from one of their desks, and so he could study at a desk. And uh, it was hilarious. It was funny. It was cute. And, uh, and Olivia was the song leader, and she's a bit charismatic, I'll have you know. And uh, they're all so different. She, she enjoyed the stage. I had to, like say, okay, that's enough, move on, you know, and, uh, and then Will, it was funny because he had pulled up a chair in our family room as close to this as he could find, and, and he was sitting there, and Olivia was leading the singing, and he was sitting there like this, you know, and I said, why are the fans on, somebody turn the fans off in the family room, it's getting cold, and he said, well, the fans are on in church, and uh, he was recreating this whole thing. It was cute, and uh, he had some things memorized, and sometimes as he was talking, he'd have to say, is that right? (laughs) So we had a conversation yesterday that it's a very important thing to preach the Word of God, and it's good to study, um, but it was was fun. But it reminded me, uh, watching Michelle and Rianne sing together, um, you know, for those of us who are parents and have children in our home, I want you to know it can be done. We can lead our children to love God and to, to desire to serve him. I, I can't help but think, you know, uh, just will. And, it, and it's silly. Uh, at the, it was cute. At the same time, I don't know what the Lord has for him in the future. But I can't help but think about uh, how many Sunday nights, because he does not in here on Sunday morning. He's not in here at Sunday school. But how many Sunday nights, uh, that's the time when he's in this room and he hears the word of God taught with the adults. And um, how many Sunday nights, those of you who come regularly, did you watch Cindy get up and take Will by the hand and lead him out? And uh, him with tears coming down his eyes and a bit of a frown. Um, You know, it's a lot of work to parent and to train a child. And we certainly have not arrived with William by any means. But uh, we've got a long way to go. But it was, it's kind of interesting, ironic to me, of a boy who just hated to come to church on Sunday night, uh, and now he was, uh, for the last couple of days at least, he was valuing and wanting to preach, and I thought that was cute, uh, but it takes a lot of work, and uh, so for you as parents, and just a reminder for me as well, stay the course, let's love our children, let's teach them and train them up in the way that they should go. Uh, John, Gospel of John chapter 1, Last week we began this wonderful new study out of the Gospel of John. We learned that Jesus Christ is the Word. And we looked at verses 1, 2, and 3, and then verse 14 in detail. We saw that Jesus is the eternal Word. He is eternal. The Word is eternal. He is the creator of all things. And we saw that the Word became a man. He, he took on flesh, and he actually lived upon the earth. The Word, as we saw from our text, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's God in human flesh. 
God's communication, God's message, God's revelation of himself. Jesus sent by God to reveal himself, the Father, to mankind. Uh, Look at our text, John chapter 1, and I'm going to read again beginning in verse 1. We'll read through the verses we've already studied, and I'll read down through verse number 18 again. And, uh, and then we'll make our way along next week in our study. But verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist here. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. You see the capital L there speaking of the word or Jesus Christ. That all men through him might believe. He was not that light. That is, John the Baptist was not that light. But he was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is, the, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, help us now as we've gathered, we're gathered here to study your word and to learn of you. Father, we, we are gathered because we love you and because you've saved us from our sin. And you have given us eternal life. And we know that no man can take away that salvation that you have given to us. Father, I pray that as we study your word this morning, that our hearts would be drawn out to believe in you and to trust in you, and that our confidence in you would grow. Father, I pray that we would live in your power this week as a result of the faith that your word will produce in our hearts this morning. Father, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we uh, resume and pick up our study this morning, we should be reminded of the purpose of this this particular account of the Gospels. Uh, I talked about it last week, but why, why why four accounts of one Gospel? What was it? Isn't Matthew enough? Or Mark enough? Or Luke enough? John enough, and of course we answered those questions last week in, in our study of the Word of God, but what is the particular purpose of John's account of the gospel, of the death and burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he tells us what his purpose is in John chapter 20 and verse 30. He says, As, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And the word Christ, that name of God, is the Anointed One, the Messiah. And John writes, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he says, these things are written, that you, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. I want to notice... Uh, several truths this morning concerning the word that is spoken of here in chapter 1. First of all, this morning, I want to notice that the word is life and light. That's what he says in the passage. The word, or Jesus Christ, is life 
and he is light. Look at verses 4 and 5, would you? Verses 4 and 5, he says, In him, that is in the word, was life. And the life was the light of men. Verse 5, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Look at, down to verse number 9. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Look back at verse 5 for just a moment, where he says, And the light shineth. In darkness, we're going to talk about darkness in a moment, but that word shineth has the idea of continuous action. When the word came into the world, when Jesus Christ came into the world, a light began to shine. And that light has never stopped shining up until our day, and it continues to shine. Now, that's, that's an interesting way of putting it, and it is the way that God intends for us to understand it. When Jesus Christ came into the world, the light began to shine, and it has not stopped shining. It continues to shine. And look down to verse number 9 again. He says, That was the true light which lighteth every man. And again, the, the verbiage is enlightens. In other words, it's a continual, ongoing action. To this day, the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, continues to shed light and give light. And uh, what's the purpose for light? So that we can see. To make the blind see. To make people who are lost in darkness be able to see. Um, so the word is life, and, and the word is light. And we see that in our passage. It says, in him was life. In verse number four. The word life is found 36 times in the book of John. God is the giver of life. He's the giver of physical life. He's the giver of spiritual life. When we think of physical life, uh, it's interesting because the more that we know about physical life, the more complex and elusive it proves to be. The professors and the students of, the, of, of life, and whether it be human life or the life of um, the planet on which we live, growing things, living things, the more mankind knows about it, the more complex and elusive it proves to be. Every cell, every membrane, every complex molecule, every strand of DNA declares that in him was life. There was no Big Bang. There was no billions and billions of years ago. Hey, I have an idea. Uh, and, and let's all just, for the next 10 years, do nothing, no repairs on our house. Let's not keep the property at all. Let's just let it all go. Let's not change the oil in our vehicle at all. Don't wash it. Don't vacuum it out. And for children, it won't take 10 years if you've got kids in your vehicle. Let's just let everything go, just for 10 years. Forget billions, since we're not going to live billions of years in this earthly body. Let's just go for 10 years and let everything that we own go. And you tell me, in 10 years, will those things that we've let go be in better condition or worse condition? It's not even right. So more time doesn't equal complex life taking place. Uh, physical life has as its creator the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, in him was life. And that's the context here, because he had been talking about in the beginning, and at the time of creation was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then in verse 3, he had said, all things were made by him. All things, the heavens and the earth, the galaxies, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Not even one thing would be made. It hadn't been for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the creator. He is the giver of physical life. But he's also the giver of spiritual life. Life doesn't merely refer to a conscious existence. Now, we are physically alive in this room. But the life of God, God desires for his life to be given to us so that we have eternal life. It is God's will that Jesus Christ would live his life through us. He's talking about spiritual life. 
Again, I can refer to John chapter 20 and verse 31. He says, These things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Now, he's talking to people who have physical life, but he's saying, I want you to have spiritual life. I want you to be spiritually alive. I want you to be able to communicate and to know your creator. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Um, in 1 John chapter 5, and verse 11, it says, And this is the record this legal binding document that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Eternal life is in Christ. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So a person can be alive physically, and that life was given to us by God. But a person can be alive physically and dead spiritually. And if that is true of you here this morning, you have a God-sized hole in you. And you can try to fill that with music, or with entertainment, or with recreation. You can try to fill that God-sized hole with work, or with money, or with family, or maybe religion. But there is nothing that will satisfy that God-sized hole in you other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need him. You need to be made spiritually alive. In verse number 4, the latter part, look there, verse 4, the end of verse 4, he says, And the life was the light of men. Now, the world in which we live is in spiritual darkness. Luke Chapter uh, 22 speaks of the power of darkness, referring to Satan and his work. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, the Bible says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And the reality is pe- people, and I'm talking about spiritual things here, not necessarily physical things, but people spiritually either love the light or they love darkness. It really is an either-or proposition. Even within this room, we either love the light or we love darkness. And if we love darkness, the light really is an annoyance to us. Uh, it really is an annoyance to us. Have you ever, has your spouse ever gotten up early, earlier than your normal schedule, and you were laying there and they flipped on the light? And what was the light? It was an annoyance to you. You turned over, stuffed your face into the pillow, and mumbled something to your spouse, probably a sweet nothing. Right. The light was an annoyance to the person who wanted darkness. Well, the same is true spiritually. People either love the light or they love the darkness. Now, who is the light, according to the text? The the light is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Word. It's God's revelation to mankind of himself. God's revelation to mankind of himself in the person of Jesus Christ is either revolting or it is enlightening, and we love it. And we long for more of it. When we hear the term light, it probably doesn't arrest our attention all that much. Maybe the way that it ought to, because we interact with light on such a regular basis, right? Light is not an uncommon thing. We have it. We're familiar with it. And in the same way, we're probably quite ignorant of this idea of light. Why why is light, why is Jesus Christ called light? Why is light attached to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we, we tend to experience light in a static way. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it's either dark or it's light, right? Or maybe some version in between. Uh, for us, light is either on or off. It's either present or absent. And we look at light as some kind of a static condition, but nothing could be further from the truth when it comes to light. A scientific definition of light might help expand our understanding a little bit, and then I think it'll help us better better understand why who Jesus Christ is and what his why he came to this earth. Light is in fact energy. Science defines light as luminous energy, as radiant energy, 
as electromagnetic energy. Some of you, very few of you are excited at this point. Light is not, is not static. Light is moving at a speed of 186,282 miles per second. Light is anything but fixed. It's not just on or off. Light is considered a wave, or this one will bless you, your blesser, or as a corpuscular or quantum phenomenon. Honey, could you turn on the corpuscular phenomenon, please? Or turn it off, please. Light, in great measure, is indescribable as to its power or its source of power. Where does light come from? Where does light even come from? Uh, the, the quantum idea is a testimony to the fact that it cannot be comprehended or even uh, anyone knowing where it draws its velocity or its existence. When light, that wave, that corpuscular phenomenon, moving at 186,282 miles per second, hits the retina of the eye, it makes things that were unseen, seen. It makes things that were invisible or unable to be focused upon, visible. Have you ever been in a dark place? Physically dark and you're fumbling around? There have been a couple of times where I'm leaving the house early and it's dark and I'm not trying to wake anybody up and so I'm trying to be very low key. And so I'm tripping I'm stumbling, I'm reaching. Hey, look what I found. I'm, I'm trying to find where I left my wallet. I always put it here. And, and it's so frustrating and, and, and vexing. And Why? Because I can't see. I don't know where anything is. <laughs> uh, maybe you've put two different color socks on and you did it in the dark, but the light revealed that you, didn't, you weren't successful in your sock choosing. So light illuminates things. In fact, all colors depend upon light. Where there is light, we see. Where there is no light, we don't see. And when we think about light in this way, it helps us to understand the Lord Jesus Christ, the word, the light of the world. As we sang it earlier this morning, the light of the world is Jesus. It helps us understand marriage relationships. He helps us understand marriage relationships. He helps us understand why we're even on this planet in the first place and what the future holds for us and how we should live our lives in this earth and how we can live our lives in this earth. It helps us under, he helps us understand and to know how we ought to train up our children and how we can train up our children. You see, the light of the world is Jesus, and I could go on and on and on in everything talking about how the Lord Jesus Christ is the light. And without him... There is darkness. And so the Lord Jesus Christ made invisible things visible. When he came to this earth, he made things that had been invisible visible, and he still is to this day. And I pointed that out in those two words. He, the light in verse 5, shineth and continues to shine in the darkness. In verse number 9, that was the true light which lighteth or is enlightening to this day, then when he was on earth, and to this day, and he will continue to do so. He continues to enlighten. So apart from Jesus Christ, the light of the world, apart from the light of the world, everything is dark. And by the way, religion alone does not bring light. And that is why some of the, the man's religions, man's religions lead people to hell, actually, and can be some of the most violent and destructive things ever known to mankind. Religion without the Lord Jesus Christ is darkness. And so there is no light without the life of Christ. And to some degree, Jesus Christ has penetrated the heart of every man that has ever set foot upon this planet to reveal God to them. Um, I want you to look with me over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And I want you to see a passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 1. Because when someone is given light, when someone is, is taught the truth about who God is, that person then is responsible with what they have received. 
Are they going to receive the light or are they going to reject the light? It's, it's like when you sit under the teaching and preaching of the word of God, you are accountable for what you hear and know. It's my responsibility as your pastor to rightly divide the word of truth and to preach it to you accurately and to, to rightly divide the word of God and to give it to you. But it is your responsibility to receive the light. The, the same is true for the revelation of God. And here's the reality, and Romans chapter 1 tells us this, every man and every woman who has ever walked the face of the earth is accountable to God, and to some degree, and to differing degrees, have received revelation of who God is. There are, there are many people who could say they've never sat under the preaching of Seth Ferguson at Trinity Baptist Church. There are many people who could say that. Millions and millions of people could say that. There are, there are other millions and millions of people who could say, I've never sat under the teaching of the word of God in a church service. Are those people not accountable? Are those people uh, not responsible? Have those people not been given any light at all? In Romans chapter 1, look there with me at verse number 18. Verse number 18. I'm going to read down through verse number 21. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They, they, they hold the truth. They have the truth. But they keep living their lives in rebellion against God. They, they keep living lives for themselves. Look verse number 19. He says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest or made obvious in them. In them. For God hath showed it unto them. Now, wait a minute. What do you mean? How, how is this true that everybody who's ever the walk to the, walk the face of the earth has been, has, has known, uh, God has been made known? How is that possible that God has been made known unto every person who's ever walked the face of the earth? Well, look at verse 20. For the invisible things of him, like his omnipotence, like he's all-powerful, or that he's all-knowing, talking about the attributes of God. The invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen. And I've said this to you before. Mankind, every man, every woman, knows in their heart there is a God. There is a creator. How do they know this? Because they're able to hear the sounds of this earth. They're able to see the creation of God. If you and I were to go to an art gallery, we were to go look at a beautiful piece of artwork. I always liked going to those Thomas Kincaid places, you know, in the mall. When Cindy and I were dating, we'd go and I'd go and look at those. And, and I always would marvel. And I've never met Thomas Kincaid. I don't know anything about Thomas Kincaid. But I look at his his artwork, and I think, wow, that's really impressive. He must be very talented. Look at, look at how he drew, look at how he, look at what he did there. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, I never even thought of that. Look at how he did this. Look at the, the way the, the depths are, and look at the detail. Wow, he is a detail-oriented person. You wouldn't want to see what I could paint, okay? Like hand portraits. Wow, look at that. You know, it, it wouldn't, it would reveal a lot about me too, but you look at what Thomas Kincaid has done, or another or another artist, or some of the great artists of the world. You look at what they, they've done, you think, wow. It tells, it re, it's revealing to us who have never known them about them. When we look at the world in which we live, the creation of God, it reveals much to us about our creator. It reveals to us that he is creative. It reveals to us that he is detail-oriented. It reveals to us that he is all-knowing because he was able to put the planets and the earth and he's able to put the sun and everything is working according to its creation. The way God designed it, he is a designer. He's all-powerful. He was able to actually do it. Who else is like unto our God? Who else can speak the heavens and the earth into existence? He is all-powerful. Ah, Wow, he knows everything. 
Uh, and so if he knows everything, then he knows what my needs are. And I can rely on him to give me instruction and to guide me. So the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, notice this, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Nobody who's going to be able to stand before God and say, well, I didn't know you existed. He'll say, yes, you did know I existed. What they should rightly say is, I chose not to believe that you existed. Verse 21, he goes on, he says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They willfully chose, I'm not going to give you the honor you deserve. If, if I met Thomas Kincaid, I could say to him, I'm really impressed with your paintings. You, you do a phenomenal job. I, you know, really, I'm not a, a critic of art, so I wouldn't really know what to say other than you're a great painter. You do great work. But I could give him the honor that he is due. Should not the creation of God give God the honor that he is due? But these individuals choose. They say, you know what, I'm not going to glorify God. I'm not going to know him. Neither were they thankful. I'm not thankful for God. I'm not thankful for his creation. I'm not thankful for his power. But they became vain. They became wicked or idolatrous in their imaginations, in their thinkings. And their foolish heart was actually darkened. And that's a curse, by the way, of rejecting the light. The more light you and I reject, the darker we become. We don't stay the same. By the way, that's true for those of us who are born again. We've received the light, the light of the world is Jesus. We've received him for the salvation of our souls. He continues to give light to us even to this day. But if I start to say no to the light and I continue in my path and I decide, you know what, I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing, I will not stay where I am, I will actually become darker and darker and darker in my thinking. So I notice, first of all, that the word is life and light. Secondly, I notice that the word was rejected by the world. The word was rejected by the world. Now, we're going to come back and look at John the Baptist because more is said of him in chapter 1. But look with me, if you would, down to verse number 10. Verse 10. Talking about the word, talking about the light, it says, he, Jesus Christ, was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. They perceived him not. Look at verse 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And so I notice, secondly, about the word, is that the word was rejected by the world. Jesus Christ came into the world, and the world rejected him. Now, the word world, cosmos, is found 77 times within the book of John. It's only found 250 times in all of the Bible, all 66 books. 102 times John uses the word world. 77 times in the book of John, and then he also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, um, and Revelation. So John uses this word a lot. The, wor the, the world is referring to the material and spiritual environment in which we live, but it can also refer to a worldly attitude, which is, I'm going to live my life like there is no God at all. That's called worldliness. Living our lives, making decisions like God doesn't exist, like we're never going to stand before him, like we're never going to give an account to him, uh, purchasing things like God doesn't exist, going places like God doesn't exist, having interactions with my spouse or my children like there is no God. That's worldliness. Shouldn't be true of a believer. Uh, the creator of the heavens and earth came into the world. Now, that's what he's saying here in, the, in these verses. The creator of all things came into the world, and the world knew him not. They chose not to know him. Over 50 years later, when John pens down the Gospel of John, over 50 years later, John is still amazed at how quickly and completely both Jews and Gentiles had turned away from the light. Think of this. He's an old man at this time. This is the man who had, a man who had walked and talked with Jesus on earth. He had watched him do miracle after miracle after miracle. He looked at him and said, you are God. He knew he was God. 
And John, 50-some years later, is sitting in Ephesus, penning down these words, and he's still amazed. He came unto his own. The creator came to his own creation, and they chose not to know him. It's ironic. It's terribly sad. But Christ was rejected by his own creation. And by the way, that is still happening today. You and I can choose to either receive the light or we can choose to reject the light. Look again at verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He was in the world. Think about this. The creator came to earth as a man. He walked those hillside fields in Galilee. He walked those narrow and busy streets of Jerusalem. Can you imagine those men and women who were able to look the creator in the eyes? Can you imagine being those men and women who were able to see the creator, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, do miracles, make blind people see, make lame people walk, raise people from the dead? They looked truth in the eyes, and they couldn't see him. His eyes would have been full of wisdom, compassion, truth, love. Christ was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. What a tragedy. People rubbed shoulders with the truth, with the light. People who were in darkness, and they couldn't comprehend it. He was rejected by his own countrymen. You see that in verse 11. His own received him not. Christ came to the Jewish people first. And they had no use for him as a whole. In fact, it was the religious leaders of the Jews who worked very diligently to get the Romans to crucify Jesus Christ. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. The question will be, for you, and it should be to every one of us today, what are we doing with the light? What are we doing with the Lord Jesus Christ? What are we doing with the truth? What are we doing with God's revelation of himself to us? What are we doing with him? Are we receiving him? You know, the, it's not, the people didn't reject him because they, didn't, they weren't aware. In fact, God had been preparing his people for his coming for centuries. Uh, the prophets had written about his coming in the Old Testament. God had brought Israel out of their Babylonian captivity and back into the promised land in preparation for his coming. God had chosen John the Baptist to actually identify Jesus as the Messiah. Remember? He looked at him. And the Bible says he looked at him, and the Greek word has the idea of with these piercing eyes, that he looked deep into Jesus, as deep as a man like John the Baptist could look. And he looked at him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. God actually used John the Baptist to identify Jesus as God. And his own received him not. It reminds me of Joseph in the Old Testament. When his father sent him to his brothers. Joseph is a, is a picture to us of Jesus. Joseph went out and he obeyed his father's will and he went to his brothers. His brothers scoffed at him and mocked him and ridiculed him and they hated him and they rejected him. You remember that most of them wanted him dead. They threw him into a pit. They sold him into slavery. Wrongfully accused, wrongfully tried, wrongfully imprisoned, all undeserved only to become the second most powerful man in all the kingdom of Egypt to prepare a place for his brothers. That's an amazing picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. What have, what have I done with Jesus Christ? What am I doing with him? Look over with me to Gospel of John chapter 3. Only a couple pages over in your Bibles. John chapter 3. Look with me at verse number 18. Because there's a judgment that comes upon a person who chooses to reject the light that God gives him. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know what, I, I don't, I don't, Pastor Seth, I don't really, I haven't bought into all this yet. And 
you know, you know, I, you know, I have family that's bought into this, this religion, this, this Jesus Christ, this Bible, and you know, church and all that. But I haven't. Um, but you know, maybe someday I will. Maybe someday I will. I'm not. I'm not saying no, Pastor Seth. Uh, just today, I'm saying no. Maybe in the future, I will. You're in danger if you're thinking that way because there is no guarantee that you will have a future to receive the light. Look at John chapter 3 and verse 18. We're very familiar with verse 16 of John 3, but look at verses 18 and following. He says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. This is the judgment. That light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Why is it that mankind loves darkness instead of light? It tells us because, because of evil, because your actions, your lifestyle is evil, and the light is revealing it. Look at verse number 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. You see, there's a judgment for not receiving the light, according to those verses. And that is, the judgment is this. The more that we reject the light, the deeper and deeper we plunge into darkness. The darker we get. The greater the evil the evil grows, and it begins to overwhelm. And so a person finds himself doing things and thinking things and saying things and going places that maybe he never would have before, but as we reject the light, we're actually choosing darkness, and darkness is the condemnation. It, it's sad, and it's a lie of the devil for a person to think, you know what, I like my sin. I like my life without God. The devil loves for you and I to think that way. That we can enjoy life apart from God. That we can enjoy darkness and that there are no consequences for living in darkness. And there are no consequences for sinful living. That is a lie of the devil because he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, destruction. Sin, the Bible says, when it is finished bringeth forth death. And so a husband and wife say, you know what, I, I'm not going to choose the light. I'm not going to choose to humble myself and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to continue to act in pride in my, within my marriage. And so there's contention in the marriage. And the marriage begins to grow apart and begins to split and splinter. And it affects the children and sometimes multiple generations to follow. But those two adults, those that husband and wife chose, no, we'd rather have our darkness than light. And we can. I don't have to follow the light. I can... I can choose a little bit of light and a little bit of darkness. No, you can't. Those that are of the light love the light, and those that are of the darkness love the darkness. And the condemnation is this, that men love darkness rather than light. That is actually the judgment of God, more darkness. He was rejected by his own. Now, while some do reject and did reject the light, and it's very sad that they did, it is also true that others received the light. And that is a wonderful truth, and it's in our passage. Not only have some people rejected the light and continue to reject the light that continues to shine, but also there are others who receive the light. Look, look at our text, verse 11. And, and notice the third thought this morning is that the word alone can save. The word alone can save. Only Jesus Christ can save. Verse 11, look there, the beginning part. I'll read verses 11 down through verse 13. He says, He came unto his own... And his own received him not. But there's a glorious truth there at the beginning part. He did come. Verse 12, But as many as received him, the light and the word, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Verse 13, Which were born, not of blood, not because your parents are saved, or your grandparents are saved, nor of the will of the flesh. It's not by your fantasy or your wishing or your desire, nor of the will of man. It's not by human design. Salvation is not by human design, but of God. And the truth is, in those verses, 
Only the word can save, but the word can save. Jesus Christ was rejected, but he was also received. By the time John penned down these words, thousands upon thousands of people, and some estimate over a million people, had received the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. According to verse 12, the question could be asked, how is it possible for a person to be saved from sin and to become a part of the family of God? Well, look again at verse 12. He says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So how is it possible for a person to go from being a child of the devil, living and loving darkness, to become a child of God and living and walking in the light? How is that possible? Well, there are several important verbs in verse 12. Do you see them? The first one is received, but as many as have received him. And we should all ask ourselves the question, has there ever been a time in our lives when we received the word, the Jesus Christ, the light? Has there ever been a time in your life where you have received the word? God gives life to those who receive the light. God gives life to those who receive the word. And each one of us is responsible to receive the word. Have you received Jesus Christ for the salvation of your eternal soul? From death and from hell and from sin, to receive the word, to receive the light, to receive the Lord is our responsibility. It is the responsibility of those who have walked in darkness to receive the light. In the middle part of verse number 12, God's part is described. How can we go from being in darkness to being in light? It starts with our responsibility. We're to receive the light. But there also needs, there's, there's a part that is only God's responsibility. There's a part that you and I can't do, our salvation. And he identifies it for us in the middle part of verse 12. He says, To them, the receivers of the light, gave he power or authority to become the sons of God. Two verbs there gave and to become, both of which are God's acting or God's saving of a soul. So I have a question for us this morning. What, who, what are we anyway? As the, what are we as people who are saved? Are we, are, and I wrote some th- questions down, are we just religious people? Are we just people who follow creeds? Are we just people who go through religious ceremonies? Are we just people who have a certain moral code that we try to live up to? The answer is no. According to this passage, we are the children of God. We are the children of God. Now, we used to be children of darkness. We used to be dead in our sins and trespasses. Aliens from God by wicked works, the Bible says. And now in this passage, he says, but to those who receive him, we are the everlasting children of God. And we cry out and we cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Daddy, he's our Father, our our Heavenly Father. And he loves us and we are forever his children. You see, when we receive Christ and we believe in him, Christ did something miraculous. The words to become is a creative term. Something that has a place of beginning. It's interesting that that's stated this way in the context because he's, he's been identified as the creator. Without him is not anything made that is made. And here spiritually, without him saving, without God making us to become the children of God, there is nobody who is saved. There is no salvation outside of the Lord Jesus Christ giving us the power and authority to become the children of God. We were created physically, and as believers in him, we have been created as spiritual children. That's why the Bible calls it the new birth. That's why it's called being born again, and that's why it's called being born from heaven. Um, And again, I could speak back to John 20 and verse 31. Do you remember that key verse where he says, These are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name, that you might have life, you who are dead spiritually, you who are in darkness, you can have life. You can have forgiveness. You can have light. 
Are you tired of stumbling around through this life asking questions like, where did we come from? Where are we going? What's the point of this life? Why is it that I can't seem to stop and break these habits? What is the problem? Why do people do the things that they do? What's the problem with this world? Are you, are you tired of trying to answer those questions in darkness? Come to the light. Receive the light. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You see, believing on his name, and that's the final verb in verse 12, to believe. Believing on his name is the key to receiving the revelation of the word. Really, believing and receiving are two sides of the same coin. They're, they go together. To believe. To believe on his name. And that's what it says in verse number 12. To those, to them that believe on his name. To those who totally rely and totally depend upon the Lord. If I sit down in this chair and I lift up my feet, I am in total reliance on that chair to hold me up. I'm not depending upon me at all. Now, I can go, I can go stand over the chair, and I can, I can uh, put some of my weight on the chair, but I'm not really trusting in the chair. I can, I can hover over the chair for not very long, and that wouldn't be putting faith in the chair either. Or I can sit in the chair completely, and I can trust that the chair is going to hold me up. When a person believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they are putting complete reliance in Jesus Christ, not to hold them up from falling on the floor but to forgive them of their sins. To make them a part of the family of God, one of God's children. To give them light. To save their soul from death and hell for all of eternity. And when we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is who he says he is, and what we're seeing in this passage is so rich, that he is the eternal God, and he is the creator of all things, and he has all knowledge belongs to him, and he is all-powerful, and he is eternal. When we think about who he is, and when we believe upon him, the Son of God, we receive him, and God does the rest. He gives us power to become his children. And he makes us his children. That is, uh, that is a point of beginning. And I can look back in my life, to a time in my life, my parents had taught me about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd heard sermons about the Lord Jesus Christ. I couldn't read all that well, I suppose, at that, that time in my life. But there came a point in my life where I stopped just hearing about him, and I put my faith and my trust completely in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saved my soul from death and hell. The question is, have you received him? Have you believed upon him? The truth is that we cannot save ourselves. Mark, is it, oh, it's Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be saved by calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe there's someone here this morning, you're a very religious person. You know a lot of things in the Bible, or maybe you attend services regularly. Maybe you give financially to good causes. Maybe you're a better American citizen than most other citizens. Stop relying upon yourself. And trust Jesus Christ alone to save you from death and hell. And he will save. And he is able to save. Look at verse number 16. Verse number 16. He says, And of his fullness have all we received. Talking about those who have believed upon him. And grace for grace. The word fullness speaks of the sum total of the attributes of God. That's a bit overwhelming. Everything that he is. Another statement speaking to Jesus' deity. He is fully God. Not part. Fully God. And John says of, his, of, of, him, of him, the word of his fullness, have all we received, all of us who are saved. Colossians 1.19 says, In him, in Christ, should all fullness dwell. Colossians 2 and verse 9 says, For in him, in Christ, dwelleth 
all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's almost, that's beyond my comprehension, frankly. And as the children of God, we are given everything we need out of Christ's inexhaustible supply. He says it this way in verse 16, you see it there, and grace for grace, endless grace. When we were out in New York, we took the family to Niagara Falls and was walking down the riverway as it made its way to the falls. You could hear the falls getting closer and closer. And uh, even my children knew not to go near the edge of that river. And the water is powerful, and it is immense, and it is flowing quickly in such a way that no swimmer could, could overcome it. And when I think of this statement here, in grace for grace, I think of the Niagara River coming to the falls, and it's like that water pouring over Niagara Falls, thundering unendingly out of eternity into our hearts. Grace for grace, the fullness of We studied in Ephesians about the inheritance that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have everything, we have every provision for everything that you and I will ever face in this life. In Christ. He is God. Look at verse number 17. He says, for the law was given by Moses. There's nothing wrong with the law. I recently read an article about a man named Andy Stanley, and he is a megachurch pastor in the South. I normally don't mention names. But he is saying that we should set aside the Old Testament. It's been replaced. And uh, the Ten Commandments are, are really irrelevant anymore. The new commandment that Jesus gave, which was love one another, summarizes those Ten Commandments. It doesn't replace them. They're not to be disregarded. The Moses, the law Moses gave was good. It was perfect, the Bible says. Converting the soul. Okay, it's very good, very needful. But the Ten Commandments, or the 613 edicts that came out of those while good and perfect, were also condemning, and they were unable to save us from our sin. They revealed our sinfulness. Nothing wrong with the law. The problem was with us. But then God communicated with mankind, and you see it in verse 17. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We're going to look later on in our study And we're going to see the grace and truth of God when Jesus speaks with Nicodemus on the rooftop in chapter 3. We're going to see the grace and uh, love of the Lord Jesus Christ when he talks with the woman at the well. Remember that? We're going to see the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ when he deals with the woman who has taken an adultery and the men are about to stone her. And he says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Jesus Christ has come with grace and truth. And look at verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. Can't get any closer than that. The heart of God is, is, it was and is Christ's heart. The bosom of the Father. And then it says, He hath declared Him. Last week I tried to read a passage of Scripture to you, and I, turned to, I had us turn to John chapter 4. It was actually John chapter 14. In verses 8 and 9, uh, in John chapter 14, the Bible says, Philip said, saith unto Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it, shall, and, it, uh, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Philip says, Show us the Father. Jesus says, You've been with me a long time, you haven't known me? Then he says, Jesus says this, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? The New Testament truth is this. Jesus Christ lives within you. If you're a born-again child of God, God, the Father, by his Spirit, lives within you. And I'll close with this. In verse number 18, the latter part, he says, He hath declared him. Jesus Christ is the declaration of God the Father. And John's writing this as an old man, and he's already told us his purpose. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. I want to tell you about what he did and who he was and who he is so that you will believe upon him, so that you will have everlasting life because life is only through him. 
that word declared, that word declared comes, uh, it comes from a Greek word where we get our word to exegete. And it's a preaching term, exegetical. A, man, a, man, a pastor who does well is going to exposit the scripture. He's not going to say anything new necessarily. He's going to say something that is already there. It's not new. He's going to take what's there and he's going to say, here's what it's saying. And here's what Jesus Christ did, that word to exegete or to flesh out. Jesus Christ was God in human flesh. We get our term to flesh out. Let's flesh this out. Let's get to the Bible. Let's see what's really there, what's behind all of this. Jesus Christ was the revelation of truth that was always there but wasn't understood. And he came and he lived and he died so that you and I and the whole world could have life. I want you to take your hymnals and I want you to turn with me to hymn number 485. 485. And the question is, what will you do with Jesus? Now, I know we're coming to the end of our time. I know we're hungry and we're ready to go home, but I want us to stand. And I want us to sing hymn number 485 and answer the question as we sing it, what will you do with Jesus? When we think of Jesus, we often think of him as that babe in a manger, that helpless babe. But as we have seen over the past couple of weeks, he wasn't just a helpless babe. He was God in human flesh. And we know, many of us in this room know, that after he rose from the dead and he went home to be with the Father, he sent his spirit, his spirit, the spirit of God, to live within us. And we are not without help. We are not without hope. We are not without wisdom. We have everything that we need to live the everlasting life that God intends for us to live. He has provided God himself is our inheritance. God himself is our provision through the Lord Jesus Christ in us. The question is, what will we do with him? For those of us who are saved, we ought to answer that question. What what are we doing with him? What are we doing with the light he's giving us? And Maybe there's someone here this morning and you have never received the light. Can I encourage you this morning? Come to the light. Don't resist the light. It is by the mercy of God that God is giving you light, that he is revealing himself to you. Don't resist him. Receive him as your personal Savior. Let's all stand together and sing. And let's sing it out as unto the Lord, shall we? Let's lift up our voices.